With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, good good morning. It is Don't At Me. I am your favorite host in the history of the United States, America, and wherever the hell else. I don't even know what I'm saying. Because we got such a big day. I mean, we got a monster. The Nets are where the Nets should be. I think they should be home. New guy at the top of the list in all of the draft boards, at least according to the sports books, and I don't like it. John Lynch can't imagine trading Debo Samuels. The NBA playoffs, fantastic. But I got to tell you, you know, this show and why I like this show is because it is just, it allows me to say what I think. When I was at ESPN, I would get the call, oh my God, you can't say that. Well, one of the most nonsensical, and this didn't hit me till after the show, and I apologize for this, but one of the most nonsensical things that I have seen in my lifetime was the reaction to Simone Biles quitting during the Olympics. Everybody made excuses, and I get it, right? You don't want to be an ist, young African-American girl, you can't say nothing. I get all that. But, and that's fine. I mean, I really don't care. It's not really my thing. And I understand also, if you're going to ask for all of the endorsements and all of what made Simone Biles' life so great, then you got to deal with certain pressures, and she simply couldn't. Fine. Not everybody's Michael Jordan. I get it. But when they came out with that Under Armour ad of pause is power, I lost my mind. Pause ain't power. Competitiveness is power. Toughness is power. And furthermore, now that Ben Simmons has paused, hasn't Ben Simmons paused? Ben Simmons had a mental issue, according to Ben Simmons. Then Ben Simmons had a back issue. Now, after getting called out by Reggie Miller, after getting called out by, who else, Carl Banks, bunch of NBA players, bunch of NBA folk, bunch of, bunch of quote, OG athletes for being cowardly and uncompetitive, well, Ben Simmons didn't get the same respect that pauses power that Simone Bias got. Why is that? I'll tell you exactly why that is. Ben Simmons is on the wrong side of the media. And this is where the media is just crap. It's not that I dislike the media. It's that I don't respect Ben Simmons, easy to get after, right? Aw, look at Simone. She tried not to play. Aw, Ben Simmons, he's a punk. What, 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 what? I thought pause was power. Body armor or whatever the hell it is. I thought quitting was strength. I thought not competing, pausing, was why isn't Ben Simmons allowed that? And here's another one, and Doug Gottlieb brought this up yesterday. Let me ask you a question. Where are all these guys when it comes to Zion Williamson? Where's Reggie Miller when it comes to Zion Williamson? Where are all these critics when I'm seeing Zion Williamson, Duncan? I think I'm the only one that told you publicly he's a fat ass. You're a fat ass, you break your feet in basketball. I don't know what else to tell you. But where are, and Doug was right, where are all these guys, all these OGs? I'm an OG. 
Yeah? You're a freaking bully. I, I, it took me a while to get to this. It did. I didn't think of it initially. And then I started rummaging through. I'm like, oh, my God. In fact, my wife, the lovely Lee Ross Dockage, we call her LLRD. She's like, pause is power. This guy, Ben Simmons, doesn't get the pause. What a world. Thank God for me. Thank God for me being here to help straighten you out because everybody else is chicken. Oh, you can't say nothing about Simone Biles. Oh, no, you're an ist. You're a misogynist. You're a racist. Fool. That's crap. That's total crap. She quit in the Olympics. No different than what Ben Simmons is doing. No different what uh, Zion Williamson's doing. But you don't hear about it. Why? Well, because they are, or she is protected. She's on the right side of the media. Pauses power, my ass. Get to work. Pauses power. It, it, see, when I get mad, here's what I do. And my players will always tell you. When I get mad, I just repeat myself. You know, some people get drunk and they repeat themselves. You have a friend like that that's like, I love you, man. I told you I love you, man. Oh, man, I love you. Man, that's what you do. That's what your drunk buddies do. Oh, you're the best, man. Now, when I do that, when I get mad, that's what I do. I like the sound of my voice getting mad. And I'm so freaking tired. I'm so incredibly tired of listening to the crap. Pause is power. My ass. What that meant was Body Armor or Powerade or whatever the hell it was had a contract with Simone Biles. They didn't want to break it because they would be called racist. Like everybody in the world, ex- no, nobody wants to say anything uh, honestly for fear you're going to be called racist. Bomani Jones got a show for one reason and one reason only. Networks are afraid to say he's racist. I mean, the world is insane. Well, Dan, I don't know if you noticed, but Ben Simmons is black. Yeah, but Ben Simmons has been bullied and it's okay. The test balloons on Ben Simmons were out there. When the test balloons went at people coming to Simone Biles, they got destroyed via social media. There's always the test balloons. Carson Wentz here at Indy, uh, they went at him because the test balloons had already been tried in Philadelphia. So the white media in Indianapolis felt really, really comfortable getting after Carson Wentz. uh, for not being vaccinated. Darius Leonard was unvaccinated, African-American. When our white media in Indy came at Darius Leonard, he came back. Our white media deleted their tweets. I know the deal. I may be the only one that does know the deal, but I know the deal. The test balloons dictate. Can we bully? And if it comes back positive, yes, you can bully. Boom. That's all that happened. Zion Williamson's fat ass is out there dunking all over the place. What, he can't play? And nobody says a word? Why not? Because Zion's on the right side of the media. The test balloons haven't been flown yet. Get somebody out there with the test balloons, and you're all right. Tell me I'm wrong. And if you tell me I'm wrong, uh, you're out of your freaking mind. Because I ain't wrong. Hey, man, first people to criticize Zion are uh, Simone Biles. Boom, 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 punched you in the jaw. So every white guy went, oh, God, no, no, not touching that one. It's the same thing with that Leah Thomas. You know, my friend Pat Forty won't come on any of my shows. Pat Forty's daughter is a uh, swimmer, right? 
Pat's always talking about swimming, but man, when Leah Thomas came out, no, 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 no. Why? Because the test balloons didn't clear Pat 40. So now he won't even come on my indie show because I work here. It's actually very funny, and I kind of like it. And I like Pat. I like him a lot. Uh, most handsome guy along with Isola in media, but it's just funny. The test balloons dictate it, baby. They really do. And you guys know I'm right. Like, if you're watching this, you're like, oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. You will. I'm going to give you another one. And it's going to be about Kyrie Irving here in a minute. Pay attention to it. Anyway, all of a sudden, this guy, Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker bumps up to number one in the sports book. The number one betting odds, uh, excuse me, yes, betting odds are on Trayvon Walker of Georgia to be the number one pick. Here's what I say. Number one, be careful betting against Vegas. He went from basically 30 to one to now an overwhelming favorite. That may change by tomorrow. Hell, it may change by the end of this show. But before you say, oh man, there's no way. I've been reading about Hutchinson and Thibodeau and all these guys. No, don't mess around with Vegas. See, in my world, Vegas would set the NCAA tournament. They would set the field. They would set the matchups. And all these little white guys that show up in Indianapolis and act so important during, uh, on the basketball committee would be out, and Vegas would have it all set up and would have a great tournament. We have one anyway, but you know what I mean. So anyways, Vegas makes this guy Trayvon Walker. I say buyer beware. Look, you can make any excuse you want, and this is where I say buyer beware. When you have to make an excuse for the number one pick, I say buyer beware. I'll tell you why. He had 19 solo tackles and only six sacks all year. One sack as a sophomore, two and a half sacks as a freshman. I mean, hell, Hutchinson had 14 and a half playing in the thick ankle league. What's the thick ankle league? The Big Ten. Bunch of thick white dudes playing on the line with ankles this big friend of mine at ESPN coined it, and I really liked it. And he was actually talking about basketball, but I think you can go with football too. I mean, every big, big old guy from Wisconsin to Iowa gets drafted in the first three rounds as a lineman, and Hutchinson had himself 14 and a half sacks, and he played with some guys that are supposedly pretty good. I don't know. I say buyer beware on this one, boys. Yes, I understand it's a totally different game. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't see the combine, man. He's 6'5", 275. I know what he is. I know what he is. He's shooting up the draft charts. Really? Let me ask you a question. Of all the, you ever seen this guy, Matt Miller, at ESPN? He's like their new draft guy. There is no bigger weasel than Matt Miller. Look at Matt Miller and you tell me that any of these draft guys are going to let them have Matt access from Matt Miller into their freaking uh, draft boards. These guys aren't seeing nothing. These guys aren't seeing Jack. They're regurgitating what their favorite agents told them. Now, look, I could give you the top four or five picks in the NFL draft. Hell, that's easy. Anybody do that. But the truth of the matter is, ain't nobody shooting up anybody's draft boards. Somebody leaked. Somebody leaked to a, dra- out to a sports book, and that's how all of a sudden Trayvon Walker... Uh, is there. Trent Baalke, the general manager 
of the Jacksonville Jaguars is kind of a shady dude, so I wouldn't be surprised if he, who knows? But anyway, don't mess with Vegas. Because Vegas doesn't just hear something from somebody and go, oh, yeah, man, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 that's what it is. No, that's not how Vegas works. Vegas don't work that way. Vegas pretty smart. I don't know if you've noticed. But the more you bet against Vegas, the more you get your ass beat. All right. John Lynch, the head guy, the master. He would have had the 49ers in the playoff or in the Super Bowl if his freaking safety could catch a ball. He said yesterday, and I watched the press conference. I should have had it played for us. I forgot. Uh, but he said yesterday, I can't imagine trading Debo Samuel. He basically said, we can't line up without Debo Samuel. He's our MVP. He does whatever it is. Well, you name it, he does it. And John Lynch ain't wrong. John Lynch is dead right. I've said this. And in fact, yesterday, I think it was, was it Sean Salisbury? I forget who was on my show in Indy. And we were saying, look, no, it was Damon uh, Bruce right here, I think, from San Francisco. He made a point that I think is absolutely right. Every single team is looking for a Debo Samuel. Every single team. See, here in Indianapolis, we have a Debo Samuel. His name is Naheem Hines. But what we have is the biggest fraud as a head coach in the league. I mean, we got guys in the national media, including on Fox, I don't want to name them because they always get mad at me here when I criticize people in the family. But we got guys saying that this Frank Reich is an elite coach. We got a guy named Naheem Hines who's ridiculous. Should be Debo Samuel. He only carried the ball 56 times and caught 40 balls. I mean, his numbers have gone down since they gave him a big money contract. That ain't on Naheem Hines. That's on these freaking coaches. And here's the deal with Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel better be careful what he wishes for. Debo Samuel's in a great spot. Debo Samuel with Kyle Shanahan and his crew, they know how to use the dude. It comes down to this. Do you want to be an all-pro? Because you've already been an all-pro the way San Francisco's using you. Or are you worried about your longevity because you got to carry the ball as a running back? See, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you could have a little bit of both, but I also think when you have the unique skill set of Debo Samuel, you ought to think about legacy, Hall of Fame, that kind of thing, as opposed to maybe one year extra on your career. But I could be wrong about that. Look, at my age, every guy my age uh, up till 80 and down till 22 would love to have a year back playing football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever the hell it is they played. I mean, we all understand that, right? But if I'm Debo Samuel, be careful what you wish for. You may go play for a guy like Frank Reich and end up with 56 carries for 276 yards and 40 receptions for 315. Eh. Be careful. You're in a great situation. And, of course, uh, I can never imagine wanting to move on from Debo. I'm looking at it right now on my screen. John Lynn says that, and he should say that. You know, could you imagine if some general manager said, hey, look, man, I really don't give a rat's what Debo wants. I like Debo. We've treated him well, but I got to tell you, it's under contract. There's no reason to even talk about it. That would be bad. That would be awesome. Because you know that's what he wants to say. You know, that's exactly what he wants to say. Now you got three guys. You got that Foxworthy guy making 
faces. You got some guy Tannenbaum. Oh, look, if John Lynch could speak honestly, John Lynch would say, hey, look, Debo, we love you, man. You're the best. And we're going to keep you right here. You're under contract. And if you don't like it, hey, look, love you, though. Here's a gift pack. Anyway, that's interesting. The Virginia Attorney General is looking into Daniel Snyder and what we talked about last year and the commanders uh, and their practices. You know, I say this all the time. It's always the same people. Like, if you were, if all of a sudden tomorrow in the Indy Star, they wrote a nasty article about me, people in Indy would say, it's always Dockage. It's always the same people. Because it is. It's always the same people getting undressed. It's always the same people being a pain in the backside. It's always the same people being investigated. So now you got the Attorney General of Virginia. Now, I got to tell you, I have a theory on the world. I always said this about college basketball. I don't want the NCAA crawling down my neck. I don't need it. I don't want it. I hope it never happened. And it was never going to happen because we were going to do things very honestly in a dishonest world. Having said that, I'll take, I will take the NCAA crawling down my neck 1,000 times to one over guys with FBI windbreakers or attorney generals. Friend of mine yesterday who watches this show had the cops show up at his house. He's like, Dan, I have three boys, all a little bit crazy, all grown up now. Cops never showed up at my house. I'm 60 years old. Cops roll up in my driveway. Because I got to tell you, I started shuffling through everything I did over the last 10 years. Where was I? Who was I with? What was I doing? Turned out it was some crazy guy that saw him put some screens in a dumpster and lost his mind. So I guess it was illegal, but it was obviously the cops were like, yeah, dude's nuts, no big deal. But, but, who the hell wants to have the cops coming at your door? Not I. Not what has two thumbs and doesn't want the cops coming at his door? This guy. No. So you got all kinds of issues going on in Washington, D.C., right, with the, with the commanders. You got whether or not they're withholding money from season ticket holders. Of course, you got that. You got all kinds of different, two sets of books, one that they kept away from the league so they wouldn't have to pay into the revenue sharing. We got chaos, but the big news is all of a sudden, uh, FBI, Attorney General, no, no. It's going to be fascinating. Can't wait to see what happens. Because Daniel Snyder, I'll say this, when all this broke a, year, a week ago, Daniel Snyder's group put a 105-page memo together and sent it detailing how they have conformed with absolutely every league standard, every ethical standard, blah, 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 blah. Now, the guy that's doing the investigating said very clearly, he goes, look, I don't know. I don't know. I just know this. I, all right, it's his responsibility, this guy, Myeris, to examine the material facts after it was brought to our attention. That's it. It's always the same people. I'm telling you. Always. Uh, NBA playoffs last night. May I say something that I know my folks on the YouTube chat that listen to this show and listen to my other shows every day knows the term. It's an easy term. It's a term called good enough 
to get you fired. All right, first off, I hate to say it this way, but again, Steve Nash and a bag of sand on the sideline, I don't know who would have been better or who would have been worse. I honestly don't know. I don't know. He didn't help his team much, but I got to tell you, Kyrie Irving, good enough to get you fired. Doesn't want to play. is a big deal. Everybody, you know, all this. And then when he plays, let me just go on the court. Two game winners, both Kyrie Irving. He gets lost against Jason Tatum in game one for the lamp. He's spinning around. He doesn't know where the hell he is defensively while everyone's hustling. And then yesterday, two-point game, for some reason, Boston goes to the rim. And what does Kyrie Irving do? Stands there, looks at the ball, doesn't prepare ahead of time, get Horford out of the way and get a rebound. Kyrie Irving, I guarantee you, I should, I should tell, I should pay no, I should. What I should do is go through the videotape and then send it to the Nets and say, tell me I'm wrong all the time. Kyrie Irving screws him. He is so freaking horrendous. Now, you guys go, man, he had 22. Yeah, he had 22. I don't give a damn. Horrible. When you win, you have to win if he makes a shot because he's given up so many things defense. He's got awful. I mean, he. I thought he was great. But if I went back and watched, I'm sure it'd be horrible. But I thought he was great against the Pacers a few years ago when he was with the Celtics. Couldn't stop him offensively. And the Pacers didn't have any guards that could expose him. But my God, yesterday, was he horrendous. I don't care how many points he scored. And then he was soft as hell in the first half. Uh, he was awful. Good enough to get you fired. Tell you who's not awful. The big three. Tatum, Brown, and uh, what's-his-face, Marcus Smart. They were terrific. Tell you a story, Grant uh, Williams. So I'm doing a summer league game. Grant Williams comes on the court. Brad Stevens sitting with me. And I go, hey, Grant, man, make sure you get under the bucket. And Stevens goes, oh, no, 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 shoot threes. So I'm just kidding. Man, Grant Williams can go ahead and shoot threes. Uh, Raptors 76ers. I've been on the 76ers to win the East. They got no shot right now. Hey, uh, can we play? Let's play the clip of uh, Joel Embiid talking in the press conference to uh, the media, the deal is this. You ever hear Michael Jordan say it wasn't my job? See, you got to stay in college for a few years to understand how to handle situations like that. You don't have to stay in college a few years to be able to play in the NBA. But to handle situations like that, that's just an immature approach. Well, it's not my job. Well, you're the superstar. You're making $30 million a year. Yeah, it kind of is your job. You know, in the NBA, that's the one place, that in quarterback position, where this is my team when you're the superstar. They call it, hey, look, he's the face of the franchise. They give you your team, so you either are about that action or you're not about that action. Guys, I think, I think anyway, I think college helps you with that. I'm not saying everybody got to stay in school. LeBron obviously handles it. Freaking Kobe, I get all that. Don't, But I am telling you that guys that stay in school and three or four years, that's what they learn. You don't get any better. You can get better in the NBA because they got workout guys. You don't have to worry about school. But that's the kind of stuff you learn how to handle when you stay in college for a few years. Embiid's fine with or without Kansas. I get it. And somebody will spin this around and make it seem like I said something I didn't. I get that too. But the truth of the matter is those type situations uh, you learn in college. You don't learn to post move any better in college in the NBA, but you learn how to handle those a little bit. But anyway, uh, they're a mess. They lost. They'll win the series, I think, but I should never have bet on them. I got a, I got a parlay of the, of the uh, uh, Warriors and the Sixers, and I don't know. I don't like that team anymore. 
Hey, if Embiid doesn't hit that shot, they may be way down in the series. All right, Raptors. I'm sorry, not the Raptors. Uh, there are certain games in the NBA that make you think that NBA is fixed. <laughs> and, man, Utah and Dallas last night, like Utah didn't even show up. Now, Don shit got going. He had 33. But am, am I right about this? Like, there are certain games. Like, the NBA has a is-it-fixed problem, right? It always has because of referees and Donaghy and all this kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is there are just certain games, and that's unfair because there are certain games in college that are just blowouts. There are certain games in every league. But I had a friend of mine say, Dan, there are just certain games in the NBA that you just think, oh, man, that team wasn't going to show. That was one, the Utes. And to make it even worse for the Utes, the Utes lost Donovan Mitchell potentially to a knee or a hammy. Hammy, not knee. That ain't good. That's bad. Bad night. I don't think it's fixed, but I also didn't. My wife thinks every game's fixed. Lee thinks every game's fixed. And so I ask her, well, were your games fixed? No, of course not. Well, how are every other games fixed, but your softball games weren't fixed? Yeah, people don't bet on my softball games. She makes a good point. But I disagree that every game is fixed. And I can't wait. We got a great show for you today. Bobby Carpenter is getting ready to jump in right now. Bobby Carpenter, there was an epidemic in college football, man, and it was faking injuries. Faking injuries, bad. I saw it for myself in the Tennessee-Alabama game. Wow. Uh, there's new legislation on that. There's new legislation on targeting. Bobby's been talking about it on Carp's Corner. And also, we'll get into the draft. Jim Nagy, who is the senior president and former uh, Super Bowl winning scout. He's senior president of the Senior Bowl and Super Bowl winning scout's going to join us at 1030. Uh, I got a bunch of things I got to talk about at 10 o'clock. Bobby Carpenter next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sorry, but I just read something funny. Kyrie Irving says, when I say I'm here with Cav, I think that really entails us managing this franchise together. That's what I want. I want Kyrie Irving, Bobby Carpenter, managing my billion-dollar franchise. That's what I want. Yeah. Go manage me, Kyrie. Frick. How you doing, Bobby? I'm doing great. You know, I, I haven't watched a ton of the NBA playoffs, but I did watch a lot of Game 4, and I sat there last night wondering if, you know, if uh, the Brooklyn Nets would have enough juice to kind of stave off elimination, they had enough pride to say, hey, you know what? Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, despite the fact, you know, that Ben Simmons and who knows what the heck's going on with him, we're going to have enough juice to be able to go out here and find a way to get a win. But, you know, frankly, they were beaten in four straight by a better team. And if there's any silver lining to this, you know, for fans, I think this might kind of crown the end to the NBA super team. You know, you look at the last 15 year run and guys pairing up. Boston's been built pretty organically. Milwaukee's been built pretty organically. Phoenix, uh, Denver, Dallas. I mean, a lot of these Miami, like a lot of these programs have been built now by drafting and developing around as opposed to guys just leaving and pairing up. And 
you know, there was a time where that worked, but I, I think that that time is over now. And as much as uh, you may lament Kyrie Irving, like I'm trying to figure out, you know, what Ben Simmons actually likes. Does he like playing basketball? Does he, does he like practicing? Does he want to do anything? Because I thought he had, he didn't want to play because he was in Philly and he had, you know, a mental health deal and that was going to be cured in Brooklyn. But apparently now, then when you take a lot of time off, your back gets really tight and then maybe you never return. Well, Ben Simmons went back to mental health today after he got ripped. So, so, hey, Bobby, but wait a second. When Simone Baez quit in the Olympics, all I heard was pause his power. Pause his power. Why, why, is, why is Ben Simmons not get the same concessions that Simone Biles got? Oh, goodness. I feel like maybe because his has been drug out a little more. Um, you know, and the fact that he, I mean, as much as we look at this and want to you know, pretend like we're a society that judges everybody equally. You know, Ben Simmons is a man. Simone, Simone Biles is a woman. Um, she's, you know, we saw her probably at an earlier, younger age. We're more familiar with her. And I will give you this, Dan. Simone Biles has actually achieved great heights as an athlete. Like she was one of the, she might probably is the most successful U.S. gymnast in history. One of the most successful Olympians in history. And so she has, a credibility bank that's been built up. And so, you know, there is some different things and twisties and all this different stuff. My, one of my good friends, his daughter's a gymnast at Ohio state. So I get some of that and I understand it to a better degree. Plus gymnastics outside of the team competition. It's more of an individual sport. Whereas your team's down 2-0. you haven't played all season long. You're supposed to be coming back. This was supposed to be the answer for you. And then you bail on your team in their moment of need. And that is, that, I think, is probably the thing that's the most concerning, and that's probably why he's taking the most heat. One thing that you're addressing on Car Carp's Corner is the faking of injuries in college football. Bobby, I was at the Alabama-Tennessee game, and that's the first time I really, I don't know, got annoyed by it. And, and not only annoyed, I'm like, geez, what's going on here? Um Will we see a slowing down of it next year because of what's happening? You know, the NCAA is talking about some additional punishment and penalties. Like in the NFL, you can find draft picks. You know, you can in suspend draft picks. You can really find teams a great amount. Like the NCAA, I mean, what's a fine that is going to deter that? And the athletic director is going to have to communicate that to the coaches where it would be significant enough you know, to make sure that, that doesn't happen. Are you going to take scholarships away? Like, is that, is that the other element of it? And does that even matter anymore in an era of NIL? So I, I wish I had a better solution. You know, people have thrown out, if you come out for injury, you have to stay out the rest of the possession, which, you know, there, there's legitimate times. There are people get the wind knocked out of them. Things happen. But I guess when you abuse the system with greater abuse comes greater control. And that's probably where we're at right now. How, I'm gonna go. What about injuries? What about the targeting penalty? The targeting penalty. This is the ultimate irony. With that, is the NCAA came out. You know, no one likes the targeting because it's incredibly punitive. If you have it in the second half of a game, you're missing the first half next week, and you, know, you could be in there. You know, maybe just playing some mop up time, and you could have a huge game the next week that you're suspended for the first half. And I understand we want to get headshots out of the game. To me, they should. You know, I'll champion this till the end of time. It should be like the flagrant one, flagrant two in basketball. You know, you want to give a 15-yard penalty for the, you know, something that is deemed unintentional 
and you're not a habitual offender, okay, flagrant one, just a penalty. Flagrant two, hey, if you've got like two or three in a game or it was clear and obvious, okay, then you get the flagrant two and then you get the ejection with it. But what they're doing in this, Dan, is they are saying if you get one in the second half and you're ejected from the game, you can appeal that and you can have it reviewed so that you don't have to sit out the first half of the next game. But here's the problem. Like, it was already reviewed in the box by someone. Like, they spend five minutes, ten minutes. Hell, they'll spend 15 minutes sometimes on those reviews, it feels like. And so who are you appealing it to, and what additional information are they going to have? Can you look at a a play, Dan, that takes five seconds and break it down for four hours, and that's going to lead you to a different conclusion? I mean, so that, that, to me, is the problem with how they're operating and what they're ultimately doing is, yeah, you can appeal it, but what new information is coming in and is it going to lead to a different outcome? Cause I don't believe it will. Uh, Bobby, I, I, here's a, here's the eternal question in recruiting in drafting. I assume in free agent signing production versus potential. I just saw yesterday and there's a lot of reasons why this could happen. Trayvon Walker, the kid out of Alabama or his kid out of Georgia, all of a sudden, now this is in sports books, and I, I have a tendency to trust these guys in sports books because they're dealing with a lot of money when they make a move like this. All of a sudden, Trent Baalke in Jacksonville, this looks like the number one pick. And I'm looking at him like, all right, I, I, I like the kid. I think he's good. But I look at production, six sacks last year, 19 solo tackles, one sack as a sophomore, two and a half as a freshman. I mean, you know, Hutchinson with 14 and a half in one year, that kind of thing. What's the balance here as you look at it, at, at Walker being the number one pick? You know, it's look at this, and it's probably the most difficult part for any coach, you know, front office personnel. And I don't care whether you're evaluating guys, Dan, on whether to give them a scholarship in college or whether to draft them in, in the professional ranks, regardless of sport, is you see a guy who's a really good player. And maybe he doesn't have quite the elite measurables that the next guy does. But the next guy's not really as good a football player, or as good a basketball player, pick your sport. And there's the intangibles that we have a difficulty measuring, like understanding what ultimately quantifies a great player. And so people want to always look at traits and measurables and arm length because it's really tough to measure just someone having a great feel for the game. So Trayvon Walker, you know, he hasn't been the most productive guy you're going to find. He had six sacks. He was on a great defense. There's a lot of guys that were making plays. But also, you're on a great defense. There's other great players. And so with that, you're not the focal point, so you should be able to go out there and make more. And I, I guess I look at it like this. What type of team do you want to build? You know, Aiden Hutchinson is checking every box from a football standpoint. He may not have the ability to be quite as good as a Nick Bosa or you know a, a guy that comes in. The, the Bosa brothers is who people compare him to, where you know, he, he has the potential to be a gold jacket guy. I think Aiden Hutchinson has all the ability in the world to go in and be a rock-solid piece of your, your organization, to be a Pro Bowl player. You know, he might not be Aaron Donald with his rare freak athleticism, but you know what you're going to get. You're going to be living in a tighter window as far as expectations. Jamal Walker, I mean, maybe he goes out there and becomes, you know, Demarcus Ware and Von Miller, or Maybe he goes out there and is a guy that kind of mutters around for a couple of years and has five, six sacks a season, and, you know, doesn't really play a ton. And then you begin to look at it and you're like, well, that's kind of always who he was. And I've joked with many coaches, like 
signing guys, drafting players, bringing them in based on potential. It's a scary process because you got to know the guy. The, one of the biggest problems is when you have all those traits is understanding, hey, what is the guy's like actual sport IQ that he's playing? And then their desire to work and improve. Are they ever going to take those measurables and bring them out to the field and go out there and produce an elite product? And so that's where you have to dig into that personal level because potential for coaches, Dan, it gets you fired. You sit there and look at this guy and you're waiting for him. And it's like playing poker and waiting for that last, that fifth card on a flush draw. And if it doesn't come, you got just a handful of black cards or red cards or whatever the heck it is. And there's nothing else to it. Who do you like? You mentioned Hutchinson. Is there, is there a few other guys that you really like? You know, another guy that they throw out there who was, you know, the presumptive number one pick before the season, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, and he's got a lot of Trevon Walker to him. Like, dude, you see him, Dan? It's like Julius Peppers. The guy checks every box. He's, you know, six, 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 seven, long limbs, great, you know, great Ben. Does he love the game? Does he play hard all of the time? You know, and that's, that's the stuff you have to try to balance out. You know, Evan Neal's offensive tackle out of Alabama, really good uh, player as well. Uh, Ike Iquanu, offensive tackle out of North Carolina, pretty good. I mean, those guys are all going to probably be the top five guys. The one guy who I love is just a pure playmaker, and I've never been a big fan of drafting receivers high, and he keeps getting mocked to the Jets. And I guess I know more about him, so I feel more comfortable with him than probably just about anyone else. And that's Garrett Wilson. And watching what Jamar Chase did for the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, Garrett Wilson – has those type of skills, has those type of traits. He's a competitor on the field. He loves the game. He plays really hard. He's been productive every year, and I think he's probably the best receiver today in this draft. If you want some value, Jameson Williams, he'll be there a little later because he blew out his knee in the, you know, at the end of the season, and he, I think, is going to be another really good player. But Garrett Wilson checks all the boxes. He's got a football family, high IQ, elite physical traits, production on the field. And so when you draft that guy, you feel like you're going to be getting someone who is checking all those boxes, who you know will be great. But what do you think of Chris Olave, another Ohio State guy? I like Olave a lot too. A little bit different player than Wilson. And this is, you know, people are like, who do you like? I'm like, well, it's a little bit of what you're going to ask him to do. Like anything, like systems make players sometimes. There's very few players that are, you know, system proof that they can go and play in any type of system in any real sport. And, you know, Garrett Wilson, I think, can do a lot of stuff in the slot. He can move outside, good down the field. He's a great contested ball catcher. If you're talking about Chris Olave, elite top end speed. He does a great job at the top of his routes, the seven routes, the eight routes, the nines, the corners, you know, takeoffs, posts. Great slant runner. He can run outs. He can do other things. But down the field, he's elite at tracking the ball over his shoulder. And so if you're looking for a guy that's going to come in and compliment a dude that you already have and really help take the top off the defense and be that big game threat, that's Chris Olave for you. And so every team's going to maybe need something a little different. But I love Olave. He's a quiet dude. But you go watch him at Ohio State over his career. You know, I was talking to Sean Jefferson about this um, at Pro Day who – was with us in Detroit. He's the receivers coach for the Cardinals, played a long time in the league. He's like, you know, he got fired as he loved the game. I'm like, dude, you go watch, put on his tape when he was younger. Dude's playing special teams. He's a freshman, blocked a punt against Michigan. Like, checks all those boxes for a dude that wants to play football and maybe not just be like, quote, the, the diva receiver. 
Yeah, you know, see, I'm dying to have him in Indianapolis. We need a receiver. We need a guy just like him, but that's just me. Hey, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've talked about it, but what, what are your thoughts uh, and what are former NFL players' thoughts that you may talk to on the USFL? I think guys are intrigued by it. Number one, you know, it's the, it, pro football is the only sport where there's like literally college and then the highest level, and there's nothing in between. And so if you're a guy that needs a little bit of development, there's no G League, there's no NBA Europe, you know, or there's no European leagues, there's no, um, you know, there's no minor league like there is in baseball or hockey. Like they're, they're just, they don't have that. And so it's totally binomial. Either you make it and you're good, or you, know, you make it and you fall out, and you have no real way to get back. And so players, I think, love the opportunity to be able to continue to work on their craft, get noticed, because with age comes some maturity. You can improve your skill set. You go out there and play and play pretty well. I think some of the innovations that they're having, guys really like. You got to understand, like, it's not the NFL. So you're not making, you know, 800000 a year. You might be making 60000 a year, depending on how well you play and how good your team is. So understanding that you're doing that because you love the sport. You want to go play. You'll hopefully get back to the NFL. You know, but frankly, Dan, I look at it like, hey, 12 weeks. You know, it's a 40 grand base salary. You get paid per win. You have the playoff bonuses. I think the max you could make if you go undefeated is 80 grand. All the players get paid the same. I'm like, dude, you guys need somebody who's in their late 30s to come back and maybe play some linebacker. Like, that's intriguing to me to go make a run at it. And they have some older guys in there that will help shepherd some of these young dudes as well. Yeah, yeah, I know you're a tough guy, and I know you got a lot going on, but Mike Tyson's comment about, hey, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, baby. And as a 30-something-year-old linebacker, I think about one hit to the knees, and you'd be like, I don't know if this was such a good idea. That's how I well, look at it. Here's the thing. I, you know, I, I told someone, I, I could go play <laughs> a game. The problem is, Dan, it's the waking up the next day like, hey, we got to yeah. go do a walkthrough. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm going to sleep in this cold tub for two days. And that's what the age, it's the recovery <laughs> process. A lot of guys could go out there, and they've got enough speed and wherewithal, and you know, they stay in good shape. But, man, when you start talking about, like, a full NFL season, you start playing multiple games, it becomes a massive grind. And that's the problem is those knees start swelling up, ankles, hips, back. You got the ice bags. You look like Patrick Ewing at the end of his career, iced up with three minutes to go in the game. <laughs> yeah. and, Guys get sick of living like that, man. Living in pain is no way to live at all. Hey, speaking of, I got to go back to something. Like, you're a really tough guy. I mean, you're, you're you know, at next level, you know. Um, but is there any part of you that would want to fight Mike Tyson on an airplane? I mean, this is a product of the society we created. You know, one of my favorite quotes, you get the world that you deserve. And if you're going to be that guy who wants to be social media king, tough guy, and he did some research on him, you know, he's been arrested. He was, he's done some things in his past. He's obviously clearly inebriated. I'm like, man, I'm going to go say something to Mike Tyson, I'm going to shake his hand because for about a six, seven year stretch, Dan, that was the baddest dude on the planet. And young people forget, they see him in the hangover and like, this guy's a face tattoo. We make jokes about him you go watch him run out of the ring and knock other grown men out who are trained professional fighters who are legit contenders i mean those dudes were peeing down their leg watching this guy run out of there like <laughs> going 
always ask, they go, what would it take for you to get in the ring with them? I'm like, I'll go get knocked out for a million bucks. I mean, I've been knocked out before in my life, but you're going to have to pay me to do it. And I'm fully understanding, Dan, that that's going to be the outcome of what's going to happen. Hey, Bobby, uh, I, I was hanging over in the, in, in the Las Vegas Hilton. He was fighting Tony TNT Tucker. My brother and I got tickets. We snuck down to about the fifth row. It was one of the best sporting. And I'm hanging over the rail as he's coming at me. And, you know, that was in the day when he was rolling, right? And, I mean, he didn't wear even the towel around his – you remember he had that towel he put? He yeah. didn't have nothing. He just had the black shoes, the black shorts. And I looked, and I'm like, oh, man. And i like, hey, I don't want to I, – I, no, don't, no, don't even look. If he sat next to me, I'd say, hello, Mr. Tyson, how are you? Nice to see Because I remember when he was the baddest, toughest, meanest, craziest that there was, period. 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 Oh, yeah. That's the thing. The, the kids today, like, oh, this guy's a, a guy on a character out of a movie. And, like, they've turned him into, like, kind of like the, the jokester and everything else. Like, this dude was the most feared man in the oh. world. He was doing things that no one else had ever seen. He was the youngest heavyweight champion of all time. And, frankly, Daniel, look at him. He's not the biggest dude in the world. But he'd unleash one of those left left hooks or a right cross on you, man, and it was over. Hey, Bobby, uh, let me go to something else. Did you, did you, as a linebacker, and do linemen train in boxing or martial arts? So that was something that started getting in vogue. Like, probably more guys popularized it around the early to mid-2000s. And so, you know, we started bringing in martial artists. And not necessarily guys who train with boxing for cardio and hand speed. But really for offensive linemen, or mostly defensive linemen, linebackers, pass rush guys, you start looking at, it's all about leverage. Obviously, you need the physical ability and the strength and some of these things. But you start watching some of these guys with how they use their hands, how they hit leverage points. And it's a lot of it are like jujitsu, karate, you know, taekwondo elements. And guys have started to integrate that. And that's why you see these elite group of pass rushers now where you know, they get in there and they understand, hey, you hit and you break that elbow. All of a sudden, this guy, he's got, no, he's got nothing to do. And so it's a function of becoming skilled enough at that to be able to work through these while you're running at full speed. And I started watching, like, uh, DeMarcus Ware, Greg Ellis do this stuff in Dallas. I mean, it was unbelievably elite at how good they'd become. And they would spend three days a week, you know, for an hour or two a day after they got done working out in the offseason and working with – you know, jujitsu, jujitsu or taekwondo, whatever it is, some sort of martial artist to teach them some of these moves and to blend them into how you would play football. Hey, Bobby, uh, are linebackers becoming undervalued? And if so, why? Well, because we value the quarterback position so much. And then next, you know, we're valuing receivers, defensive tackles on offense or in offensive tackles. And so then on def defense, it's who can impact that. And so it, it was initially corners. You start looking at pass rushers. You're paying your tackle 12, 14 million. Well, if you get a guy that can beat him, I'm worth at least that because I can impact that quarterback on a, on a big level. So there, there's that element of it. And so the off the ball linebacker where you know, this guy could go out and have 15 tackles a game because you're running it, you know, 40 times, like they've kind of become a little bit obsolete. Now, with that being said, you go, I go back and always look at the, the uh, Super Bowl, Tampa Bay, Kansas City. 
and they had uh, uh, Devontae Walker. Uh, oh, goodness. There are two linebackers there. They just blanked on their names. Devin, uh, oh, Devin White was one of them. And uh, Levante David from Nebraska. And these guys were so good, you could leave the two of them on the field the whole time. They stuffed the, 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 screen, the, the Chiefs screen game. Andy Reid, that's his like bread and butter, man. Stopping those screens is incredibly hard. And they're stopping them against the lead athletes. They stopped the lateral run because both those guys are fast. And then the really the most important thing is can you cover tight ends and backs out of the backfield when they're working on you? And so if you're a tight end or linebacker that can do that, there's still value for you. But you're not going to be valued at the same level because you're kind of now paired up, Dan, as the running back. And if you look at the running back, it's the second lowest franchise tag number below just above specialists you're going to find. Contrary to that, receiver is the second highest. So as we elevate receivers, you elevate more of the passing game. Running backs have dropped. And so unless you're a linebacker that has great rush ability or great coverage ability, it's going to be tough to find that elite value. Uh, speaking of running backs, you're getting two for one with a guy like Debo Samuel, are you not? Running back and wide receiver, and that's becoming more of a, more of a thing, or at least I would imagine teams are going to look more and more for a Debo Samuel. Can you find a player with position versatility? Now, those guys are going to be tough to find. Everybody wants to look for them, but you're not going to find a whole lot of receivers that have great vision and have the toughness to go in there and run and the run after catch. Like Anquan Bolden probably could have done that. Um, Ty Montgomery, we watched, you know, they transitioned from receiver to running back, um, you know, in Green Bay. And so there's guys that can do it. There's not a ton. That's why Debo Samuel is so valuable. But here's the thing with Debo Samuel, if I'm him, I'm looking at this. Dude, receivers are getting paid like $25 million. Running backs are getting 10 I'm done with this nonsense running the football. I can play receiver until I'm 35. At 30 years old, running backs fall off a cliff. And so it, it's I want to help the team, and I'll spot do it, but I'm not going to line up and try to go get 1,400 yards because as great as it is for fantasy football and how you and I talk about it and everybody else, oh, he's a fantasy monster. Listen, I want to play for a long time. I want to be healthy, and I don't want to get beat up. And so Debo Samuel is incredibly valuable. It's going to be tough to find guys like him. And once you get to be that good, the guys aren't going to want to play running back very much anymore. Yeah, I mean, you see what Stephon Diggs did. And, hey, look, I want that, right? I mean, you mentioned yeah. it. Hell, wide receivers aren't quite – they're not quite getting quarterback money, but it's getting there. It's getting close. And they're the second highest paid position outside of quarterback. The running back is the second lowest only to specialists. Like, you and I are – we're not math guys, but I have got to be a brain surgeon to figure out which position you should be playing. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, man. Bobby, uh, do you think, last thing, do you think Walker is the number one pick? Do you think this is smoke? Do you think Vegas knows something? Do you think he's the number one pick? I think if you go back and look, I do believe people have patterns in their life of how they draft. And if you go back and look at Trent Baalke and you, you look back at some of his San Francisco stuff, I think he's a guy that has drafted on talent above kind of all else. And not saying that you don't worry about other things, but his philosophy, if I go back and I remember some of those drafts, right, he was drafting talented players that maybe were better physically than football players. Now, it worked out for him, and they drafted pretty well for a while. And things went pretty pretty good. I'm trying to remember exactly his drafts, and I'm going to have to go back and look at it. But I have a tendency to believe that Trevon Walker is going to be number one overall. 
I just I feel like that's the way Balky's going to lead. Now, I don't think that's probably smart because if I'm Jacksonville, I look at everything that's happened that we've had down there. We've been meandering in the wilderness like the stinking Israelites. We got to find some dudes that are going to show up and come to work every day. And when you're maybe three and six, are going to grab a shovel and start digging your way out of that hole as opposed to, and I'm not saying Walker's like that, but I know Aiden Hutchinson's been in Michigan. He's been through some, been through some tough times and he stayed for his fourth year to come back and ultimately beat Ohio state. Like I think what he's made of is something you want your team to embody. And so if you're drafting a guy, number one, overall, this isn't just your first round draft pick. Number one, people are going to look and say, what characteristics does this guy have? Because that's ultimately what our franchise values. I think it's going to be Walker, but if I was Jacksonville, I'd take Hutchinson. Appreciate you, man. That's great stuff. We got Carp's Corner today. What do we got? What do we got? Oh, goodness. I'm working on putting together a mock draft. Everybody wants to see that. That's a lot of damn work. 32 picks, you know, breaking all that out. <laughs> you know, we got some other stuff going on here. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that everybody wants to trade back in the draft. Everyone wants to talk. Hey, I'm a top five. I'm going to trade back and get two first rounders. Dan, you have to have someone who's willing to come up and trade with you to give you those things. And there's not those elite players at the top. So you're not just going to give away your pick for nothing. So get into that a little bit. And then, man, like talked about, you know, the NBA, the super team era, Oh, four and Oh, getting swept. Ben Simmons not playing. I mean, look at the culture that we've created among people who are, incredibly wealthy should be incredibly successful we've just lowered our expectation expectations so dramatically for him it is it's almost embarrassing that this is where we are you look at isaiah thomas look at this thing about michael jordan the flu game isaiah thomas out there limping around on a busted ankle willis reed play coming back and playing you look at we we love these stories burden is back johnson playing center and then you got ben simmons who didn't like the way his teammates were treating him in Philly. And ultimately, I just don't think wanted the pressure of going and competing in a big-time series where they just weren't going to walk over the opponent. Bobby, I say it all the time, man, to your point. If you lower, when we lower expectations, people always hit them. <laughs> they always hit them, man. They, they just do. And you're right. I always, Isaiah and I have actually talked about this, like, when you went to the rim in his era, uh, you had to make a business decision because it wasn't only Mahorn and Lane Beer. Hell, we had the Davis brothers here. You had Anthony. You had Ewing. You had these guys in uh, Charles Davis or Charles Smith. You had those guys there. You had the guys in Portland. Uh, every team had guys. You had to make a business decision. Isaiah almost died from an elbow. Now you can just walk to the rim. Ah, load management. And once you start allowing that, every time, every time you lower expectations, people are going to hit those expectations every freaking time, Bobby. Can't wait hey. to see it. It's going to be good stuff. Appreciate you, my I'll friend. Leave, I'll, I'll leave you with this. I mean, all you got to do is coach Cheney over at Temple. Sometimes you got to get the goons in there and get the goons on. Nobody wants to play like that. Nobody wants to be tough like that anymore. They don't. You know, money corrupts. I got. I don't have many sayings in my life. No, no, no good deed goes unpunished. Is one. Be careful what you wish for. When you lower expectations, people are always going to hit them, and money will corrupt. More money, more problems. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Dan.
He's the best. That's Bobby Carpenter. Check out Carp's Corner right here on the Outkick Network. Speaking of that, I got some life advice for you when we come back. That's right. Get a pen and paper. Doja coin is down. What? We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. right, welcome back. Look, that was awesome with Bobby. You know, we start the show and we do headlines and we usually have a guest. We get into something, another guest. I'll give you a little life advice here, and I want you to listen. I want you to get your pen and paper and quit screwing around and follow me. First, if you're a basketball player, never leave a corner three. What are you doing? The corner three has become the easiest shot in basketball. Now, this isn't just about basketball. This is don't ever leave the easiest thing. Meaning don't mess with happiness. Meaning don't just meander. The corner three. So many guys meander and help. Next thing you know, you hit the corner and the guy knocks in a three. It's the same thing in life. Don't just meander. It's easy to guard a guy in the corner. You know why? Because it's a corner. Let's see if I can do that right. Here's a corner. He can't go this way. He can't go that way. He can only go this way. It's easy. Don't meander off something that's easy. Don't just leave something that is like, man, I like this. Don't leave a corner three in life and don't leave a corner three in basketball. This is a huge thing. And I don't give a damn what any single person on television tells you. All right? I don't care. I don't care. Look for the fastball and adjust to the curveball. Now, what does that mean? Here's the deal. Things are going good for you. Things are going nice for you. You're rolling. Life is going good. Have that bat ready. Have that bat ready. Hey, the fastball is when things are going good. Hey, man, I'm going to knock that. I'm ready. I'm going to knock that out of the park. But... But the world never, ever goes easy. It never just floats along. In fact, I would make the argument that it's God's way not to make it go easy for you. So I know the end game. I know. I'm ready. I'm ready for the, are you ready for the curve? Can you adjust to the curve? Like people say to me, well, you should be ready. Uh, for the curve and adjust to the fastball. No, I'm trying to keep the fastball, which is my business going great, my show going great, whatever it is. I'm trying to keep that bad boy on the right track. But I also, I got to know, man, I got to adjust to that curveball. And I'm always thinking adjust to it. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care if it's your marriage, your kids, you got to be ready. Don't ever be taken off guard because your kids 
are going to jack with you. There's going to be something that happens. Your wife, it ain't always going to go smoothly. My wife and I, we seem like we're, you know, Ozzy and Harriet, for those of you that are older. Uh, what was Cosby's name? Cliff Huxtable and his wife. No. We're more like Ross and Rachel. There's always some problems. Always. And then what do you do? That's the curve. You adjust to them. You'll sit there going, God dang, I didn't see that coming. I was just thinking everything's great. No. And there's going to be, let me read you a little scripture here. You ready for some scripture from Double D Romans? 535, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. How many of us rejoice when we run into problems and trials? Anybody? Bueller? For we know that they help us develop endurance. That's exactly right. Man, I've caused my own problems with Twitter or my radio show. Oh, man. But you know what? I got endurance. And nothing getting me down now. Did. Done now. And endurance helps strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. When's the last time you rejoiced because you ran into problems or trials? Sitting on that heater, baby. Sitting on that heater and I'm ready to adjust. I ain't leaving a corner three. I ain't leaving something that's good. So many times we leave something that's good. Actually, I thought about that first part uh, when I was thinking about Debo Samuel. Don't leave something that's good. I'll give you my life. I told you this before. No good deed goes unpunished. Mo money, mo problems. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, mo money, mo problems. That is so true. Think about all the problems in sports. They're a part of money. Now, it's good stuff. But they're all a part of money. Here's number three, and I want you to look at me right now. I tell my kids this all the time. Advocate for yourself. Well, you know, I really don't want to call that business. You know, I, I, I talked to that coach about a job, but I really... Uh, I really don't want, you know, I don't really want to, you know, I, no, no, look at me in the face. Look at me right here. The world is full of self-help books. And I want to get John Gordon on here because I think he's the best because it's not just silly self-help books. But the number one thing you can do for yourself is advocate for yourself. All right. Doesn't mean you're a pushy jackass. No, not even a little bit. It means that you express a confident manner in what it is you're doing. And you're not, here's the biggest problem. I just had this talk with my son-in-law the other day. Just had this. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of a loser. But I go, no, 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 no. 
You played college football. You graduated with an econ degree. Truth of the matter is, I don't know how much you like rap music, but if you look up the, uh, Jay Shaw and you like rap music, let me know. You're going to like his stuff really good, and he's doing it all on his own. And we had this long talk. Now, we were a few beers in, which is when I do my best work. In fact, we were more than a few beers in. We had went to Wrigley, then we went to Murphy's, and we're sitting there getting a bite to eat. You know, but it was spread out all day. You get a few beers in me, I'm philosophical as hell. But I told him, what do you want to do? This is what I want to do. Then call him. Oh, I can't. No, call him. He told me about some rapper that followed him on Twitter. I said, all right, I'm going to tweet at him. I forget the guy's name. I could look it up. Advocate for yourself. Go out of the way for yourself. That doesn't mean you don't help people. That doesn't mean you don't go out of your way for others. Of course not. I'll give you another piece of life advice, and this goes along with going up. For, always give somebody on the street a dollar or whatever you got. Well, they're just going to use it for drugs. That's their choice. Well, they're not really poor. Of course they are. They wouldn't be standing on the street. You know what they're doing? Those people on the street, they're advocating for themselves. They're not sitting at home. They're out trying at least. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing, and I'm sure there are problems in these folks' backgrounds, but they're sitting there advocating for themselves. They are the guy, Indianapolis, all the time, like every Wednesday, I don't know, there's guys on the corner. I got to know one of them, Rocky Carter. Rocky stands on the, sits on the corner because he's in a wheelchair. He's a veteran. He is so uh, trustworthy. He's got his veteran's card. He's got all this stuff to prove who he is. Uh, he's at, and I got to know him that he's had stuff stolen. He's had wheelchair. I bought him a wheelchair. We give, I give him 20 bucks every single week. I see him, probably should give him a hundred, but I, and he's just out there advocating for himself. Advocate for yourself. Call the guy. You know, I got this job. Tell you, I got this job. Got tired of ESPN. Clay Travis had always, we, we didn't know each other. But I'm like, you know, I wouldn't mind working for you. I kind of followed them, followed them through the whole Whitlock thing, the growth. I knew they had gotten bought by Fox. So my contract was getting up at ESPN, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Company's changing. I don't know that I fit in. Let me see what else is out there. I was, I was at the corner. Those of you in Indy will know this. The circle, the circle there was an Abu Pond. And Meridian Street said Abu Pond. I was at that circle. I said, screw it. I'm calling Clay Travis. Got his number, called him up, Clay Dan Dockage. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Hey, man, I'd like to come work for you. Why don't you work at ESPN? Yeah, my contract's up. I don't think I want to go back. Why don't you want to go back? Yeah, I don't think I fit the company. I think I fit you guys. Well, you know, Dan, uh, we've always kind of communicated about it. Let me see what's up. Advocate for yourself. I'll tell you how I got my wife. The love of my life is upstairs in my house. I got divorced. I'm getting divorced. My first wife tells me I've had enough. Fine. She's getting divorced. Easy divorce. We're very good friends. Kids stayed with me. She moved out. Kids stayed with me. Fine. I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I got to figure out how am I going to get divorced and not get cheated? I didn't think she'd cheat me, but you know, that's what guys always think. We had a friend at Bowling Green named Lee Ross. Lee Ross Shaw, she got divorced, cost her $1,500. She's a softball coach at Syracuse. I had talked to Lee once, twice, three times in 10 years, maybe. Long story short, I couldn't remember who the coach was. I called another friend, Gary Winger, coach at Bowling Green. 
I say, man, who was the guy, girl, that got divorced for $1,500? Lee Ross. I called up Lee Ross. How'd you get divorced? She told me. Hey, thanks, Lee Ross. She's hot. I loved hanging out with her. Huh. Hey, called her back. Debated it. Called her back. Hey, Lee Ross. Did you ever date my, my exact line? Would you ever date a divorced guy from Indy? She went to the beard. Hmm, don't know. Long story short, we're married. Perfect. I advocated for myself. You don't have to do it all the time. You don't have to be obnoxious. How'd I get a job in TV? I called Dave Rebson, the Big Ten Network. I said, you know, I'd like to at least try out. What do you think? I advocated for myself. Uh, Here's the deal. I've got one for you. Buy the good tequila. I don't ever say this about booze. I don't even know the bad tequila. But here's what I do know. I do know that as you get older, when you're young, drink the swell. i tell you this. When you're young, go ahead, get yourself to Mexico, drink the tequila, uh, eat the worm, have yourself an afternoon. All right? That's part of it. But here's a bigger... Buy the good tequila. There's a tequila in Indy called Hiatus. Really good. And it's about, I don't know, I don't even know how much tequila costs. So the other day, my wife, her son, Jared, we go out to dinner. We go to St. Elmo's. They meet me downtown. We're going to, you know, the kids in town, we're going to get him a uh, a shrimp cocktail, a steak. You know what I mean? St. Elmo's famous place. It's about 5 o'clock. So they come down. Yeah, it's about 6 o'clock. We got two separate cars. I go home. Lee and her son drive the other car. We're not drinking. We're not doing We just had dinner, a nice dinner. A little salad. When you go to, you got to have the navy bean soup. You know what I'm saying? So next thing you know, they come home and they got gifts. I'm like, what is this? They give me Sunday's ice cream. Splendid. Love it. Best ice cream in the world. A little place, a little family-owned place by our house. And then she got a bottle. It's called Casa Azul. I'm like, what is this? It's a big old bottle. Casa Azul. Life-changing. Sip. Don't drink. Sip. It hits nice for old people. Vodka is the drink of choice for old people. My mother's 80-something. I can't tell you how old. Never really drank in her life. My father passed away. Now she's hanging out with friends, has a guy friend. Every night, 5 o'clock, vodka soda. Telling you. Spend money on tequila. A little, I'm not saying a ton. Don't lose your mind. But spend a little cash on the good tequila if you're older. Most of you guys are older. I had never done it. Come to find out this Azul stuff spends uh, 200 bucks a bottle. I ain't going to lie to you. I haven't spent 200 bucks on a bottle on anything. I bought a nice Camus wine for 150 for an anniversary for Lee and I, and I thought, what am I doing? I mean, you see how I dress. Uh, this, this shirt given to me, this shirt given to me, the shorts I stole uh, from my son. What do I tell you? But it was worth it. Uh, ask your grandparents about their life. I'm going to say that again. Ask your grandparents about their life. You know what happened? This is a long time ago. 
So often we, me, you, uh, people younger than me, get caught up in our own stuff, right? We always get caught up in our stuff. And we always think old people's lives were a little bitter. Not, not a little bitter, a little uh, boring, right? Well, the truth of the matter is your grandpa, your grandma, I guarantee you they did some ish. My grandfather, as I came to find out, well, I knew this when we were kids, had a bar. Gary, Indiana, the Caribou Lounge. So the Caribou Lounge in Gary, Indiana, had the only stage and lights in the city. Now, if you know anything about Gary, Indiana, you know that the Jackson 5 came from Gary, Indiana. So Joe Jackson, Kathleen Jackson, and the family needed a place to practice. Who do you think had the only bar with a stage, with lights, a dance floor in Gary, Indiana? My grandfather's Caribou Lounge on 9th Avenue, right downtown. Jackson's lived on 23rd and Jackson. In fact, we just went by their house the other day. So guess what the Jackson 5 did? They practiced there every Sunday. So as kids, my cousins and I, we would watch the Jackson 5 cartoons. Not together, but you know what I mean. And then my grandfather would go over on Sundays, usually at my grandma grandpa's house. We would go to my grandfather's house, and we would clean. And sometimes the Jackson 5 were practicing. The same kids that we saw in a cartoon were practicing. Come to find out that my grandfather controlled all the draft numbers in Gary, Indiana. Come to find out that made him the most important person in Gary, Indiana. Come to find out that the Jackson 5 signed their recording contract with Barry Gordy. Supposedly, I had a picture that showed it, don't know where it is, in the back room of my grandfather's bar. My other grandfather came over on the boat and walked to work every day under a bridge to go to a steel mill. My grandmother got hit by two cars, two trains, one going this way, one going the other way. I didn't know my first grandmother. She passed away when I was really little. Ask your grandparents about their lives. We're the only culture that doesn't ask their grandparents or learn from our grandparents. Hey, I learned what not to do from my grandfather, too. My grandfather, bar owner Gary, Indiana, I don't know how much you know about Gary, Indiana, but it got pretty nasty towards the end. He had a gun shoved right up his rectum in an armed robbery. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Man, that dude got hit. He got beaten. But hey, you learn. And the other day, the reason I bring this up is the other day I was driving back from Chicago with Lee and her son, Jared. We came back from the Cubs game. I said, I'm going to give you the Gary, Indiana tour. We stopped at the Jackson 5's house. And Jared's like, oh, my God, you lived here? I go, yeah, but it's, it wasn't like this. And we lived on the other side of 8094, which is a big dividing line in terms of Gary being really bad or Glen Park, which was, you know, okay. Still Gary, but okay. Anyway, ask your freaking grandparents about their lives. Seriously. All right. This weekend in stupidity. You ready? Man. How about Yankee fans just throwing garbage at a guy named Miles Straw? Why are they mad at Miles Straw? Because he had the audacity to criticize him. And how about Miles Straw climbing up the damn scoreboard to get at him? The world is crazy. But nothing's as crazy as yesterday. Dylan, we ready for this? Let's go through the meltdowns from Twitter. Today, or yesterday actually, and to, yesterday and today in stupidity. 
Let's start with our boy that is just freaking out. I mean, <laughs> check this clown out. It's unbelievable. This is a little message to Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Or should I say, Hail Hitler? Hail Hitler. No. No. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I... You think you can just let people speak freely? That's not how free society works. Because if you if you speak free, if you want people to be free, then they can't speak freely. You need to control. If you if, okay, if you want people to be free, then they need to speak freely. But if they speak freely, they they're a Nazi. So if you speak freely, you're. Not... What I'm saying is. If you didn't get your boosters, you killed my grandmother. <laughs> How about that guy? You think that's real? Hey, man, people absolutely, totally lost their minds. The most tolerant of us all, ladies and gentlemen, that guy represents the most tolerant of us all. Isn't that what our Libby friends say? We are the most tolerant anywhere. You can't be mad at us. We're tolerant. We have empathy. Yeah? How about that clown? All right. Let's go to what Elon Musk said, which I personally thought was the best tweet of the day yesterday. I'll make sure I have it here. Uh, The best tweet of the day yesterday. You got it here? Basically, you can see it where it says, hey, I hope my worst critics stay on here. Because, well, let me, let me, I got to get to this because I can't read it. So let me, give me one second here and I'm going to have it done right because this is a screw up that I just did. Why can't I find this, Dylan? Uh, what the heck? Anyway. Yeah, I did text it to you and I can't find it all of a sudden. Hang on, caller, but I like it. That's how much I liked it. I liked it that much that I can't read it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that's what free speech is. It's pretty good. Really good. It is. Uh, His worst Twitter critics did not stay on Twitter, at least some of them, and, you know, Away you go. Uh, ESPN is just full of clowns. I mean, I'm sorry. Pablo Torre is one of them. I know you're not allowed to say it, but Pablo Torre is some guy that apparently knows a lot about sports. He uh, is best known for being with Bomani Jones. Before Pablo Torre uh, deleted this, the richest person on the planet being obsessed with Twitter as sad as hell, man. Yeah, man. It's sad as hell, man. You know why it's sad as hell, man? Because Pablo Torre doesn't agree with Elon Musk. That makes it sad as hell, man. Okay. All right. Well, if you say so, Pablo Torre, then we must take a look at what we're doing because, you know, we want to make sure that Pablo Torre uh, is okay with it 
and understands how the richest man in the world works. Pablo Torre. Jeez, what, what, what are we doing? Dude just bought Twitter. Everybody ought to be happy because he gave like $44 billion to a startup, right? The most tolerant of us all don't, don't anyway appear to be so incredibly tolerant. Now, I could be wrong, but they just don't. They do not appear to be as tolerant as I want them to be, or they should be. But we shall all survive, all right? Let's go to the next one. A guy named Richard Haniyeh, yeah, yeah. Now, Richard here, Elon Musk takes over Twitter. He's a billionaire who doesn't even have a master's degree. Is that who we are going to trust with the future of our democracy? Ah, sure. That's how deep it is with Twitter, man. The future of our democracy hangs on to our characters that we type with our thumb, according to Richie there. Yes, and only though, and Richie embarrassed himself a little later on. But anyway, um, it is amazing to me that this is what we're looking at. The, 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 our democracy is going to be gone. Okay, Richie. All right, Richie. So Richie says this. Listen to this. Um, so a female named Zuby says, in answer to Richie, yes. Richie says, how does that make you feel as a black man? There are young black men with degrees living in poverty as we speak. Zuby says, I'm actually a black woman. Please don't assume my gender. Richie, I'm sorry. Even with a PhD and JD, I still don't always get it right. I appreciate you correcting me, and your words will guide me forward. This is the real world. This is the stuff that makes America the greatest country ever, ever, because we got to worry about that stuff. When that's the stuff we got to worry about, we're doing good. And then lastly, Joe Rogan gives a big you-know-what, a big you-know-what to the cancel culture. Joe Rogan has gained, according to Joe Rogan and others, over 2 million followers ever since all the controversy about Joe Rogan. Well, you know what the answer to that is. Well, it says all I need to know about all his followers. Yeah, good. The whole it says all you need to know crowd sucks. Let's be honest. That says all you need to know. Dockage, I see that you're working for OutKick. That says all I need to know about you. Good, it does. You're right. I can think for myself. It's exactly uh, I see you're wearing a blue shirt, Dockage. That says all I need to know about you. You're right, it does. Did you say buy the good tequila, Dockage? That says all I need to know about you. Yes, it does. Yes. Seriously. What a freaking world. I'm proud to live in it. I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I don't forget the men who died to pave that right for me. And I gladly stand up. <laughs> what a world. Uh, speaking of what a world, Jim Nagy, senior director of the Senior Bowl. He's the man. He's won Super Bowls as a scout. He knows what the hell time it is when it comes to the NFL draft. Going to be nice enough to join us right here. We'll be right back.
We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you the great Jim Nagy. Jim Nagy is the senior director, executive director of the Reese's. I'm going to get that damn title sponsor in. You cannot forget the title sponsor, Jim. The Reese's Senior Bowl, six times as a scout in the Super Bowl, four times Super Bowl champ. He did go to Michigan, where only the biggest and the brightest go. Hey, Jim, do you know how to tell if a man went to Michigan? Oh, I have no idea, and I don't think this is going to be good. Go ahead. In the first two minutes you meet him, they tell you they went to Michigan. (laughs) Bada-bing! Well, I hope I I don't do that. I hope I don't do that. I am excited about Hunter Dickinson coming back to school, though. I, you should be. Hey, look, uh, my son went to Michigan. I tell him all the time, you guys and Notre Dame guys. Like Indiana, we're a little embarrassed about where we went to school. You know, they just give you a degree. They don't care. So we don't. But Michigan, ah, Hunter Dickinson's going to be great. Speaking of Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson, is he the number one pick in your eyes? Oh, it would be a really good pick. Uh, you know, I'm not picking for Jacksonville, but I think he can help any team. When you talk about team needs, I mean, you don't, you don't really draft up there for need. You're trying to take the best player really through the draft. That, that should be the philosophy, in my opinion. Uh, but he's going to be a good player. You know what you're getting with Aiden. That's, that's the deal. You, you know you're getting a good athlete. You know you're getting a guy that plays really hard. His instinctive, that's versatile. You know, that was the, that was the nice thing for Aiden this year. Uh, having a new coordinator come in from the Baltimore Ravens and and uh, moving him around, you just got to see him. You got to see him do a lot of things he wasn't able to do in Don Brown's defense. So I uh, saw him drop more, saw him play in space more. Uh, he's really the total package. There's really nothing not to like. I mean, th- this time of year, you know, all the draft people, we get really nitpicky on stuff, but it's uh, it's hard to get nitpicky with uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Hey, I'm going to go. I, I did a little uh, online stalking of you yesterday in preparation for this interview. And I want to go through some positions with you. You put some tweets out. First position is quarterback. What, what are your thoughts on the quarterback position in this draft? Well, you know, there's been a lot of, lot of uh, negativity towards the quarterback class. I, I do think when it's all said and done, there's going to be a couple guys out of this class that are, are winning starters. Is, is there, you know, the thing is, is there a slam dunk franchise guys they're Joe Burrow is there uh you know Justin Herbert you know probably not you can't sit here and say that there's that guy in this class but I do think there will be four at least four of them go I think Kenny Pickett from Pitt Malik Willis from Cincinnati uh I mean Malik Willis from Liberty Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati and I think Sam Howell or Matt Corral will could sneak into the late part um but history shows a couple of these guys are going to be guys that win a lot of games in the NFL I just think it's a little more roll of the dice and uh, you know, depending on where they fit, where, where the opportunity is. But uh, I think the class is getting knocked overall because there's not that, that home run Joe Burrow pick. 
I'm asking you this for a variety of reasons, one of which is I think the Colts need a very good tight end. You also discussed what is your thoughts on the tight end packages, the tight end players? Uh, yeah, a really good group, Dan. Really good group this year. Uh, deep. I don't know if there's a first-rounder in the group. There's, there's certainly not a Kyle Pitts, like immediate difference maker like we saw last year uh, going to the Falcons. But there's a bunch of good ones. There's a bunch of starters. And then there's there's a, a whole bunch of really good number twos, you know, and and you've seen in Indianapolis over the years what a Jack Doyle can do do for an offense. I mean, a, a good number two tight end can be really really valuable player um, in locker room guys. So there's a bunch of those. I think, uh, you know, for me the the top guys probably Trey McBride from Colorado State, the Mackey Award winner, uh, you know, really good player. There's guys like Greg Dulcich from UCLA. Um, there's a number of them. So if if you need one, it's a good year to need one. I just bringing it back to the senior bowl week. We typically only bring six tight ends to the senior bowl. Uh, this year we brought nine. We went thinner on wide receiver because I don't think it's a great wide out class. I think a lot of these wide outs are being overvalued right now. Um, and, but we went heavy at tight end. So good group, good year to need one. Well, I want to get to the wide receivers in a minute. Cause you're the first person I've, I've heard say that. What do, what do you think of the Jeremy Ruckert kid? I'm sorry, you went you went out for a sec. What do I think of who, Dan? Uh, Jeremy Ruckert, the kid from Ohio State. Yeah, Jeremy Jeremy's in that conversation too. Like we talked about, I think he's kind of the forgotten guy in this class, Dan. You know, he he came down to the Senior Bowl with an injury um, and kind of it made it worse down here first couple of days of practice. Um, so he has he's been in a booth. He hasn't been able to do anything this whole process. So I think uh, you know Jeremy's probably safely somewhere on day two, second or third round, but he's a do-it-all guy. He can play on the line of scrimmage. You know, he's a good blocker. He's got some tenacity to him. And then I think, you know, what I was a little disappointed in, I thought he would really be able to show out the pass game down here. They were never really able to feature him at Ohio State. There, there's never enough balls to go around in Columbus. Um, so I think Jeremy's got more to him as a receiver than he was maybe, maybe able to show as a Buckeye. Um, so, yeah, I think he's one of those guys in two or three years that if he's catching 60 or 70 balls, you're like, wow, where, you know, where was that in college? Um, I think he's got that potential to be, to be that kind of receiving threat. And again, you know, late second, early third round, there's a lot of value there. I got to jump back to something. I meant to open with this and I apologize. You had a tweet where you said, Hey, look, this Ben Simmons uh, situation is forcing or making uh, general managers and decision makers in the NFL to double check on all of, you know, their character grades. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, Ben's the perfect example to me, and I don't follow the NBA nearly as closely as I do the NFL stuff. But, you know, if you're, if you're a decision maker, that's worst case scenario. I mean, you've got, you've got a high end uh, all-star caliber talent that his, his basketball character, his competitiveness, his toughness, at least from the outside looking in and not knowing everything about it, but just reading on Twitter about, about people that do know the NBA like yourself and do know the basketball world better than I do, it really seems like that's what's holding Ben Simmons back. And it, it seems like it's been at every stop, you know, even going back to LSU. So, again, going back to that tweet, this is a true story. Yesterday I showed up to work and had a, had a text from a NFL general manager it said that he saw that text late at night and went into work and and took a player off his board because of a football character issue that he was considering up high in the draft. Um, so no, it's it's real stuff. I mean that stuff really really matters. 
when you're putting together a team. I mean, these guys typically don't change who they are, you know, coming up. You, you can't expect them to be something different as pros that they've, they've maybe shown at the high school and college levels. So, um, again, I just thought where we are right now in this draft process, I thought Ben from another sport was kind of an interesting case study on what these GMs are going through right now. Well, to follow up on that, when you have guys come to the senior bowl, you know, and you have your first meeting, how much of what you're talking about is, you know, obviously being evaluated, but you're also being watched, body language, behavior, reaction to coaching, that type of stuff. Yeah, that's part of, <laughs> you, you, that's part of the orientation meeting, Dan. You, you know it. Um, that's a big part of it. These guys know that through the week they're being really evaluated and picked apart with everything they do. Um, it's a stressful week here in Mobile for them by, by design. The NFL is a very stressful league. It's, you know, any professional sport, just the, uh, you know, the daily grind of playing in those leagues is real. And, uh, and again, this is a good proving week for those guys. So whether it's on the field, you know, between drills, during drills, in the interviews, at breakfast, um, interacting on community service day with people in the community. I mean, their eyes, eyes are always on these guys. So, yes, that is for sure laid out to these guys before they start going through the week. When, when you evaluate, and I'm sure you've had like, man, we had a really good group this year. We had a really bad group five years. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, like, you know, everything else, there are good groups. How would you evaluate this group of, of draftees, potential draftees, in terms of character? Uh, character was great. I think uh, I think what people don't, and that's the, that's really a, a great part of what I do right now, what I really enjoy about, about this part of the Senior Bowl I've been coming down to this event for, you know, 20 some years as a scout. It's different seeing it from, from this side of the, this side of the curtain, if you will. Um, most of these guys, if they get to this level, um, they're good guys. They're squared away. Like they've, they've usually done what needs to be done in terms of the maturity and take care of themselves and the preparation part of it. They're here for a reason. So for the most part, um, you know, we're dealing with really high end character guys. And, and I will say this about the guys during the week and we didn't have a single issue um, you know, we do a really, we, we tighten up. We bring a lot of former NFL players to be group leaders with our players during the week. And they do a character assessment after the week and how these guys were in terms of being attentive and being on time and, you know, just their general attitude and how they, how they were with their teammates. And, uh, you know, probably 99% of the time, these guys were, were a really positive group this year. I mean, they they really didn't have any complaints from our, our guys that were with these guys day in and day out. Hey, Jim, uh, I want to get back to uh, the players, but before I do, you guys had your first uh, HBCU combine this year. How'd that come about? And how'd it go? Uh, yeah, it was, it was great, Dan. I appreciate you bringing that up. That was kind of a joint venture between us and the NFL League office. You know, they were going to have that a couple of years ago and it got canceled for COVID. So then I, I called up to the league office, called Troy Vincent and, you know, kind of talked him into bringing that event to Mobile. And really the, the impetus for that was we were going to have all 32 teams here captured, you know, for the senior bowl. So you want these kids to get the exposure of all 32 teams and then getting them started early in the draft process. Right. I think, you know, the first incarnation of it was going to be in late, late March down at the Dolphins complex in 2020. Well, you know, I said, let's get these guys going in January so they can really build momentum through February and March and, and into the, into where we are right now in April. Um, and I think a lot of players did that. So it was great. You know, again, the biggest thing for a lot of these HBCU guys is exposure. Um, and a big part of that is the interview process. Let these guys know who they are, where they came from, 
Um, you know, the scouts are in these schools in the fall, but maybe not as much as in Alabama or Georgia or, or uh, you know, Notre Dame. So really getting that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime was huge for, huge for those players. Hey, Jim, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Um, you're the first person that I have talked to about this draft. And with two shows, I've I feel like even in the last week, I've talked to a ton of people that hasn't been effusive in their praise of the wide receiver crop. You think they're just okay. It's a good group in terms of depth, Dan, um, in my opinion. I don't see a bunch of first-round picks in this year's draft. And, and, again, all I can go off is these mock drafts, and you're, you're seeing, you know, seven, eight wide receivers in the first round. I, I don't see it that way. I think, uh, you know, Jamison Williams from Alabama, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. I mean, those two guys, to me, are the, clearly the top two. Um, and then, to me, there's a, there's a drop-off. Um, there's some other good ones, and I think there's some really good ones on day two. Um, there's a lot of a lot of big, fast, strong guys in the, in the second and third rounds that I would just value wise would rather take a shot there than maybe reach for one in the first. I just think we're seeing way too many names right now. And maybe that's the result of, you know, the Debo Samuel contract thing and the trade talks and a lot of these wide receivers demanding big money this offseason that teams might reach a little bit to get a younger, cheaper guy this year. Maybe that's maybe that's why they're being mocked up there. But talent wise, I don't think they belong there in the first round like like you're seeing them in a lot of these mocks Jim what one of the reasons I, I love having you on whether it's in India or here is because you've been a scout you've had to make decisions you've had to make calls on guys so you might be the perfect guy to answer this like you know I I see people say all the time well he's really flying up the draft boards well number one what the hell does that mean and like all of a sudden I see a guy named Trayvon Walker goes from here uh, he's the odds-on favorite to be drafted number one. H how does something like that happen, and what does flying up the draft boards mean, really? <laughs> That's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I think in Trayvon's case, it's the media catching up to the NFL. Um, there are so many players on that Georgia defense. We're talking about a historically good defense, right? You go into the school in the fall. I went and saw them play at, against South Carolina this year. And you almost don't know where to start watching. I mean, there's so many guys. That front seven, they're all going on the first two days, the first two rounds of the draft. They're going to have seven guys drafted in the front seven in the first two, you know, first two rounds. But, you know, the league was high on Trayvon Walker from the start. I just think, you know, this is the part of the process in the spring where the media kind of starts talking to NFL guys. And, okay, wow, maybe Trayvon Walker is better than what we realized. So I think, I think that's the gap there. I think when you talk about flying up boards, that doesn't typically happen. Um, I'll say this from like a senior bowls perspective um, where you, you do see that. And again, I'm trying not to sound self-serving in terms of the senior bowl, but where guys can really do that are the small school guys, Dan, where, where there's some doubt in scouts minds. Okay. Where, what was the level of comp this guy was playing against? And then he comes down to a game like the senior bowl and he plays against the best of the best from the big 10 and the sec and really shows himself. So I'll give you one quick example. And that's a linebacker from Montana state, Troy Anderson. So, you know, he was kind of a late ad for us. You know, he's a guy that the speed showed up on tape. A little bit of question about the instincts, question about the physicality a little bit. I mean, I had that. Um, and then when we, you know, we called around to, uh, you know, when we called around to the NFL teams, it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of teams saw him as still a, an offensive gadget player, like a Taysom Hill type player that, uh, you know, because of his background at quarterback and background on uh, at running back, they maybe thought he was that kind of guy. Well, he comes to Mobile, the reaction time is a lot better, more physical, the speed was obvious. Then he goes to the combine, he's the fastest linebacker there, running 4-4-2. Four, four, 
Um, now we're talking about a guy that in December was being talked about as a fifth or sixth rounder. Um, and now teams are saying he's not getting out of the top 50. So that's, he really flew up the board, but there's probably a really small handful of handful of those guys every year. And it's mainly the small school players. I mean, let's be honest, that, that, that just makes sense. I mean, it makes sense in every way. Number one, Montana State, who the hell wants to fly to Bozeman or wherever the hell Montana State is in the middle of the winter? You might get stuck there for a month. So that's number one. Number two, obviously, you don't see them. But, you know, when, 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 you, when you pick guys for the seat, let me, well, let me ask you this, because a lot of people, who was I just talking to that said, hey, look, I know guys look great in shorts and shells and all that kind of stuff, but I want production when they're playing 11 on 11. Um, how do you balance that as a scout? Because 11 on 11 obviously is important and production is important, but when you look at Trayvon Walker, you know, he had six sacks, had two and a half as a freshman, one as a sophomore, you know what I mean? It, it, balancing all of that, it, is that the hardest thing for a scout? Yeah, I think uh, just going back to the teams I worked for, I feel like when we missed on players, we did that. We overvalued what happened in shorts and T-shirts, um, you know, go and the, and the testing is part of it. It's all part of it. Right. But I, I do think what happens in helmets and shoulder pads is, is way more important. Um, but but yeah, in Trayvon's case, I mean, people knock the production. Six sacks isn't low production, especially on that defense. I mean, to me, there's a lot of guys hunting the quarterback on that defense. you got to beat some some other first and second round guys to the quarterback just to get the sack, you know, like we're in a guy we're not even talking about right now in the draft is Adam Anderson, who was our number one rated player last summer over Aiden Hutchinson. He was the number one player on our senior bowl board, then got in some off the field trouble, you know, late in the year for Georgia. I don't even know what's going on with him for the draft right now. So, I mean, Trayvon had to beat a lot of guys to the QB. He's just, he's got traits off the charts and, and he does have good tape. He's not just a, you know, this isn't because he went to the combine and ran low four fives at 270 pounds. That's part of it. Part of it is you're buying into the traits, but he's a good football player on tape. You watch the tape and um, there, the argument that he has the highest ceiling in this draft is definitely valid. You talk to guys in the league that, that know what they're looking at. They'll tell you that this guy's probably the highest ceiling player in the draft. Hey, man, I saw that Georgia defense a lot. You got to be a first round pick to get on the field for Georgia. And then you got to be like, I don't know, an all-pro to get to the quarterback to beat the others. The kid, I, I don't know if he's any good or not. I, I don't know. But I, but he showed up for me because I watched a lot of Georgia this year, uh, and that's that Jordan Davis kid. And then he goes to the combine. He's a 350-pound freaking freak. Well, is he a mid-first-round draft choice, Jordan Davis, out of Georgia? Yeah, he, he probably is. I think, you know, you want to check all the boxes when you make first-round picks and you know with him you know you're, you're dealing with a guy that the teams are still struggling with can he get to the quarterback right um you know he was great against the run he can occupy double teams he can really run what you think is you got a you got a guy 341 pounds running 479 why can't he get up the field and get to the quarterback like what physical limitation is there that he can't that he can't be that kind of player you just didn't see it on tape because they were waving in a bunch of young guys they were trying to you know, the day of the portal now, we're trying to keep these players happy. you got to get young dudes on the field in certain roles. So I think that's the thing with Jordan. And going back to that Georgia defense, Dan, think about this. Jermaine Johnson, who right now is being rumored to go number four overall to the New York Jets, transferred to Florida State last year because he only 
I think he was only on the field for 200 plus snaps, a little over 200 snaps. And George is a junior, goes to Florida State, plays 800 snaps. He's the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And like I said, now it's looking like he's going to be a top 10 pick. So when when people talk about oh, is the how how re, how good really was the Georgia defense? You've got a top 10 pick that had to transfer just to get reps. Um, so yeah, definitely a historically good defense. Hey, last thing, I'm keeping you too long. Who's the number one player on your board for next senior bowl? Uh, posted about him today on, twi- on Twitter. Uh, and that's uh, another oh, player from that Georgia defense. Uh, you know, number four, really good player. Uh, stands out with his length and his pass rush. And, uh, yeah, we're, our, we're already done through the Power Five school dance. Now, maybe there's a small school guy, a group of five guy that, that jumps up. But right now, it's, uh, it's Smith from, uh, from Georgia. Hey, I always appreciate you coming on with me, Jim. Thank you so much. That was fun stuff, man. Thank you, Jim. Go Blue. Go All right, Blue. Dan. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. See you. That's Jim Nagy. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl and one of the best dudes out there because he's lived it, man. The dude has lived it. Like, not everybody lives it. He lived it as a scout six times in the Super Bowl, four-time Super Bowl uh, champion with the uh, – uh, ah, dang – uh, with the New England Patriots. What a great show today. Uh, I got to thank all of you. Uh, let me give you a fade or two. Tonight, I'm taking the Heat minus seven. I'm starting to see teams lose a little faith. Tonight, I'm taking the Grizzlies at home minus six. I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I would not bet the over-under on Trey Young if it went down to six. It went down to five. I wouldn't bet, ah, maybe five. I wouldn't bet the over-under on Trey Young. I'm so tired of watching Trey Young stand around. I'm so tired of watching him do nothing. I'm so tired of watching two guys come at him and he throws the ball and then he stands out at half court. It's malpractice what's going on. It's malpractice yesterday for Steve Nash. It's malpractice what's going on in Atlanta. And I like Nate McMillan. Hell, I was on TV saying Nate McMillan, better coach or as good a coach as the guy, uh, Spolstra. The hell do I know? I don't know nothing. Zero. Zip. But I'll tell you this, I'm betting the heat tonight because I think, um, nah, I didn't like what I saw out of Atlanta. I thought Atlanta kind of gave in a little bit. I think the heat are going to roll and I think the Grizz are going to roll. And I think the Suns are going to roll. Now the Suns are interesting because I feel well, if the Suns are the best team in the West, which I don't think they are, but if people think they are, I'll take the Warriors. Uh, look, you're going to beat Steph four times. God bless you. Go ahead. But I will say that um, the Pelicans look like they match up great with the Suns. So I'm going to take three home dog or three home favorites, fairly decent sized spreads in the NBA. Did you know the biggest point differential for any team in the NBA was eight and a half? That's the worst team to the best team. The best team wasn't plus eight and a half. Best team was like, yeah, maybe it was plus seven or something. Worst team, minus eight and a half. That's two points a quarter. So these games giving up seven points for the Heat, six points for the Grizzlies, six points for the Suns, that's actually a lot of points in the world of the NBA. It is. So anyway, there you go. That's what I got tonight. Let me tell you, I'm betting, like, for the NCAA, I was so smart, only bet things I knew. For the NBA, I'm an idiot. 
Ah, game's on. Let me see what's going on. Ah. So I haven't lost, but I haven't won. I've actually lost more than I've won, but it hadn't been much. It's driving me nuts. Got to get back in business, Dan. Hey, anyway, uh, you want to catch this act? 1075. Thanks to all my friends on the YouTube chat. El Presidente, Van Pasterman, Jennifer over there, Nick, Joe to the C, Jimmy, all you guys, fantastic stuff. Dylan and Ryan, as always, just absolutely uh, great stuff. Tomorrow, Allison Williams is going to join us. Uh, I just, look, I thought, go back and listen to my interview with Bobby Carpenter. I thought Bobby was really good with why Simone Biles isn't catch, didn't catch the kind of hell Ben Simmons did, but it still irritates the hell out of me. Uh, long story short, Ryan, Dylan, thanks to everybody. At least today's show went off without a hitch in my damn basement. That's right. No hitches today. We're going to be right back here tomorrow, but if I don't get out of here, something bad is going to happen because those of you that like watching my shows understand sometimes Double D just got to go potty. Dockage, out.